Today's guest is Quindela Holtman Kramer. I'm Jaden Schaefer, and this is the AI Chat Podcast. We're super excited to have you on. Today, we're going to be talking to Quindela, who is the CEO and co-founder of Daily. This is a company that is specializing in SDKs and infrastructure for the future of video and audio experiences. He has a background in large-scale network systems and real-time video. Quindela's journey began at the MIT Media Lab and led him to co-founding Oblong Industries, where he developed an operating system for spatial computing. He is a strong advocate for free and open source software and is pushing the boundaries of AI and video technology to redefine our collective digital experience. Welcome to the show today, Quindla. Thank you for having me. I'm a big fan of the show. That is, that's great to hear. Um, so yeah, we're super excited to, to have you on. Uh, first thing I would love to ask you about, number one, how did you, how did you find out about the podcast? When, when did you, when did you become a listener? I think I've just been listening to so much stuff about AI lately. Uh, when I wash the dishes and when I cook dinner that, you know, I sort of followed uh, references around the internet and happened upon it. That's very cool. and Very cool. Uh this episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Um, I wanted to ask you to kind of kick this thing off a little bit about your journey and a little bit about how you kind of got started. Did you know, did you always know that you were interested in technology? I mean, obviously you went to MIT, so I have to assume it was, you know, pre-college that you kind of got in. Tell us a little bit about your journey here. I was really lucky to wind up at the MIT Media Lab as a grad student because I'd gotten interested in this brand new thing called the internet and the World Wide Web. And it seemed like a global network that could link everybody all around the world together and let us all communicate seemed amazing. And I was at the Media Lab during this time when the internet was not yet really broadly available, but it was clear that it was happening, at least uh -huh. inside the lab. And I think at a really high level, the thing that I learned at the Media Lab was there are places where the future is invented. And it's really exciting to try to be part of those places or even to help create them. I mean, I saw things at the Media Lab, you know, before they were out in the wild, like hardware connected to the Internet, video analysis of emotions, virtual pets, uh, like social recommendation engine uh, social network recommendation engines that are now like just powering every single thing we all do online all the time, uh -huh. every day. And it was just sort of amazing to kind of see that stuff get built and know that in a few years, or think anyway, that in a few years, that was going to become commonplace and stuff that everybody used. And to sort of imagine that trajectory from like building it for the first time to it becoming just part of the fabric of our lives. And I've been thinking about that lately because I'm wondering and assuming kind of that that's probably what it 
has felt like to be like inside OpenAI, you know, working on large language models recently. Yeah, a hundred percent. I was actually just going to ask you your opinion on that parallel because I, I tend to agree with you. I think you're spot on in that analysis. But what similarities and parallels do you see between you know what you were seeing back then at MIT with the internet and what you're seeing today with AI? I think there's a couple things. You know, our research group, our little group at the Media Lab, used to go on a retreat every year with Alan Kay and a bunch of folks from. Uh, kind of Xerox Park back in the day, who'd done huge amounts of interesting research, and that was amazing on a bunch of levels. But you know, grad students being a little bit kind of cynical and tired sometimes, we had a pool uh, that would be how often would Alan Kay and his friends say, "Oh yeah, when we were at Xerox Park, we did that." Anytime <laughs> you said something about your research, and you know, the numbers were pretty high, right? And we used to make fun of that. And then like 15 years later, I caught myself saying, oh, yeah, when I was at the Media Lab, a friend of mine built that <laughs> when people started saying, you know, they'd built some exciting thing. And like history just keeps turning. Right. And the wheel just keeps turning. And we reinvent stuff until it really is ready for prime time. And I think the amazing thing to a lot of us who kind of follow AI but hadn't followed it closely until really recently was the inflection point that the large language models hit was a long time coming, but then it seemed to happen all at once. Mm -hmm. And I think that's actually pretty common in technology. Like we build and build and build and build and iterate and iterate and iterate and things kind of work or they're kind of interesting. And then all of a sudden you hit this takeoff point where they are fab, like core technology. They're mm -hmm. ready to be used for sort of everything. They influence everything we do there. In the sense of AI, I think they're legitimately a new platform. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's some exciting stuff, some massive changes. I, I think it's interesting what you said about that inflection point, too. I think that is particularly the perspective that like average consumers that may not be like super into tech will especially feel like, right? Because if you haven't been seeing kind of the breadcrumbs coming down the pipe for the last you know, five, six, 10 years in this space, um, seeing some of the things that are happening, ChatGPT just feels like it came out of left field. It's like magic. It's like, oh my gosh, where did this thing happen, you know, come from? Then I'll let all I think about the way AI is being implemented into the algorithms and their social feeds or AI is being implemented into so many other areas. It's just, this is a very visual way that everyone is able to essentially, you know, access and, uh, and see this. So I think that's an interesting perspective. I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit because you have such an awesome, uh, you know, background. I'm wondering if you can go back a little bit again and tell us a little bit about um, maybe your journey from co-founding Oblong Industries to launching Daily and, you know, how your vision for video technology has kind of evolved through that process. So w with some friends from the Media Lab, I started a company called Oblong Industries uh, before the company, now Daily. And at Oblong, we were trying to build a new operating system for computing. We were taking a bunch of the stuff that we had done at the Media Lab, so gestural interfaces and spatial computing and large-scale networking and programmable networks, and trying to put them together into a kind of new vision for how we would all use computers. And you know, so one of my co-founders, uh, John Underkoffler, had done the gestural interfaces in the film Minority Report, which was directly based on his work as a PhD cool. student. So right. we, when you, you know, we had Steven Spielberg made like a hundred million dollar demo reel for us, which was really, <laughs> um, and you know, we were just sort of in retrospect, insanely ambitious and had really high, uh, expectations for what we thought computers could do and what that ended up meaning from a commercial perspective as, you know, a startup company that's trying to build a business model 
was we were building really expensive stuff that was really interesting and useful, but also had a very small market. So all of our customers were essentially Fortune 500 companies. They paid us you know, a few hundred thousand dollars or a few million dollars a year. So we had a relatively small number of customers who paid us a lot of money. And that was a totally workable business trajectory. And, and in fact, super valuable as an engineer turned founder to kind of climb up the learning curve about how enterprise sales works and how you manage you know, enterprise sales teams. But it also meant that we were building stuff that you know, tens of thousands of people would use, not hundreds of millions of people would use. Mm-hmm. And I came out of, you know, Avalong feeling like I, uh, maybe maybe a little bit of the grass is greener on the other side, right? Like it would be fun to try to build the stuff that we had built at Oblong, sort of real-time collaboration environments, video-first systems in a way that was much more accessible to kind of everybody. And mm-hmm. the the other advantage you get with time often in technology is that the costs go down and the diffusion of the enabling technologies kind of happens. And so what we were able to do at Daily was build this video technology stack that can run on anybody's phone, anybody's web browser, and lets you do real-time video, real-time audio, real-time collaboration, uh, you know, anywhere you are on any network, on any device, anywhere in the world. And, you know, we built a whole lot of global infrastructure to support that. And we did a lot of engineering work, but fundamentally we were aiming at kind of making stuff that every single person in the world could use, which is fun in a different way. Okay. Very cool. So when did you, um, you know, when did you really get started on daily and, and tell me about, you know, launching that, building the team and, and what that's currently solving for customers? I took a couple years off between startups because startups, as, <laughs> as you know, are pretty tiring. Um, sure. And I was just sort of thinking about what I thought the next thing was going to be. And I'd never kind of lost that interest in the video first and large scale networking problems from an engineering perspective. And I also thought that we were going to see uh, one of these inflection points that we were just talking about where video was just going to be everywhere. Uh-huh. On all our devices, it kind of embedded in all the media we consume. Increasingly, we would create it. The internet, you know, the, the gravity on the internet was toward video. And sure. that, so around 2015, we thought, okay, we think there's a big enough market opportunity here and a big enough, interesting enough technology engineering kind of problem bundle that we could do something really interesting in a venture-backed startup context. So I think mm-hmm. we incorporated daily in 2015, built a bunch of prototypes, did a bunch of hacking, and then used going through Y Combinator in 2016 as kind of a forcing function for actually making it a real company, not just a series of engineering experiments. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's super awesome, though. Um, and uh, since then, what what has daily become? What is the main you know problem it's solving for customers? What is it? What's it helping people achieve? So we spent a few years building out what we think is the world's best infrastructure for real-time audio and video, uh, which also has client-side SDKs for all the platforms you would want to run on if you're building an application or a web, you know, a web app. We are uh, APIs and SDKs for real-time video and audio. We're Stripe, but instead of payments, we do video and audio is the way okay. we talk about it. So our customers are developers and they're building stuff for their users and customers using our stuff. Okay, very cool. And um, something I would you know love to ask you about because I've seen that you've been a bit of an advocate on this and I'm, I'd be curious to see how this you know plays into what you're doing, but you've always been a bit of an advocate for the use of you know open source software. Um, and I've heard you say specifically in public and civil sectors, 
Um, what I would love to hear from you is, you know, really, I guess your spiel on why it's so important and maybe um, the way you believe this should be implemented and is important for AI specifically today. I got really interested in open source software in the late 1990s. And at that time, it was pretty controversial whether, you know, if you were, say, a government buying software for schools, whether buying something from Microsoft was better than, say, trying to use Linux. Uh-huh. And so I had a pretty strong point of view being kind of young and, uh, you know, got interested in technology and thinking that I knew everything that, you know, being open had a bunch of benefits ranging from accessibility to flexibility to cost. So I spent a lot of time sort of talking to people in governments and civil society organizations about what open source software was and how to effectively use it and how you didn't have to make an either or choice. You could use some proprietary software and some open source software. And that was a real education in how politics works and how, you know, businesses go after uh, large scale revenue sources like governments in a very no holds barred way, because Uh at that time, from Microsoft's perspective, it really was an either or choice. And they wanted their customers to never use a single piece of open source software, to only use proprietary software because they saw a threat to their business model. That's very, very different today. Microsoft is a great open source company and incredible contributor to open source in all kinds of ways. But that evolution hadn't happened then. uh, And we were all trying to figure it out. And again, I've been thinking a lot about that around open AI and meta and and Thropic and Google's perspective on what should be open and what should be closed in the AI world, I do think it's pretty clear that core technologies that we build everything else on top of work better when they're open. Mm -hmm. So you can have more people contributing, more modularity, more flexibility, more security, more robustness, better cost. There's just a ton of advantages to being open. There are some disadvantages, and I do think that there's always room for both proprietary and open source business models Mm -hmm. almost all the time. I think we're having this debate in AI at the very early days of understanding kind of what AI is in this Uh next generation and what AI models can do, and it's natural to have this debate. I do think over the very long arc, though, core technology is open. Okay. Yeah. I think, uh, I think a lot of people agree with you on that perspective, especially when we're talking about like the foundational stuff we're building everything on top of. Um, so yeah, and it's definitely a very relevant conversation today as you know, we're seeing open AI turn to what a lot of people call closed AI and all of the implications and controversies around that and other areas. So definitely very interesting. I mean, I think it's okay for the pendulum to swing a little bit. Like we're, we legitimately have interesting questions to talk about and history rhymes, but it doesn't repeat itself. So some of the questions are new. And, you know, without OpenAI's track record of openness, we wouldn't be having this new moment for AI at all. So I think OpenAI deserves a huge amount of credit for being open. It does feel like the pendulum is swinging back now towards closed for not just open AI, but definitely open AI. I, I think it'll swing back again, but we'll figure it out as a as an industry and as a society, right? Yeah, for sure. And it it's also really interesting, like with this whole debate and this whole conversation, because um, 
the pendulum swings, OpenAI obviously, just just because of their name alone is just, you know, a lot of people, I think it's quite ironic. But um, it's kind of interesting because you also have like Meta, right, who is unleashing a ton of open source or, you know, free essentially um, AI tools and, and stuff in the space. So it is really interesting that there are, and then of course, Google is more of the closed source. So like there is a lot of different uh, players in this space playing to both sides of that, which is kind of fun to to watch and see. Something I would love to ask you about specifically with kind of what you're currently working on. I'm wondering if you could elaborate a little bit on the AI-enabled web RTC use cases that the Daily Python SDK supports, right? You have, I believe, voice-driven large language models, some other things. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about that. What we started to see early this year was customers coming to us and saying, you know, we run on your real-time infrastructure. You guys are the plumbing for us. And now we're trying to build this AI stuff. Can you help us like wire everything up? And we're like, Mm -hmm. oh, that's super interesting. You know, when a bunch of customers come to you and ask you, you know, broadly similar things, it's fun. So we built a couple of toolkits, uh, initially kind of experimenting alongside our customers, just kind of building specific things. And then if you do that enough, you know, things come into focus that are generalizable, that like sort of feel like additional you know, repeatable product value proposition. Uh-huh. So we built a couple of toolkits. One was for post-session analytics and processing. So you have, you've had a language lesson or you've had a telehealth visit or you've had a team meeting or you've had a, like a sales call. You have a recording, maybe a transcript, audio tracks, video tracks. There's value to that data. There's stuff you can do with it. So we built a toolkit that lets you sort of build these workflows where, you know, you could generate automatic clips from the language lesson that show the student what they need to work on most, or you can have a coach kind of coach your salesperson, or you can draft like the clinical notes that every healthcare provider has to write after a healthcare session and save the provider a whole bunch of time. And that's kind of wiring things up so that large language models can be useful and give you value from data you already have. And then the other thing we were being asked for was, well, I want like generative AI live in my session. I want to make a, like a synthetic character, Mm -hmm. or I want to run a game managed by an LLM, or I want like a real-time coach in my session, or I want that language lesson to be more accessible to more people. And I want the teacher sometimes to be a person and sometimes to be an AI. And we were like, oh, that's really interesting too. And it's, hard enough to build that stuff, even with the sort of traditional SDKs we had had since, you know, the beginning, that we worked on a Python SDK specifically designed to bring large language models and other generative AI tools into a real-time experience. Okay. Whatever that means, like it means Mm -hmm. different things to different people, uh, but we wanted an SDK that lets you, say, create a virtual character really easily, really robustly on top of our you know, real-time media plumbing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. Um, obviously, an incredible use case, right? A lot of your customers asked you for that. And so, you know, rolling it out must have been exciting. Something else uh, that I also heard that you guys were working on, I'd love to, to hear a little bit about. And I think you kind of alluded to it as well. But um, I believe you have an AI-powered clinical notes API for telehealth, you know, change. And, and I'd love to, yeah, just hear your... Uh, you explain a little bit about that and how that's kind of um, impacting healthcare and healthcare technology in the future. Yeah, so very broadly, that feels like one of those post-session, you know, analytics processing 
use cases, but it uh-huh. has a really specific flavor to it in the following way. I think more than any other thing I've ever experienced in my career, a bunch of customers came to us and asked for exactly the same thing. You know, okay. usually you, if you have 10 customers ask you for something, they're, they're kind of asking you for 10 slightly different things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you have to like triangulate and squint and try to like predict out a year what things are going to look like to build like the thing that cuts across all the, all yeah. the sort of slightly noisy signal you get from the market. In this case, customers were saying, we have these telehealth sessions. Our providers then have to spend you know, upwards of 10 hours a week writing up the notes from the telehealth sessions. It's a really important job. It's something technology has not been able to previously help with, but nobody feels like it's creative. It's like the rote work. It doesn't really leverage their expertise. And it's like a third of their working hours. But we're looking at these LLMs and like they can summarize stuff. Can, can we reduce the workload on healthcare providers massively with this new technology? Like we don't really know how to build it, but if you build it, we can put it right into our telehealth experience. Mm-hmm. And we were like, well, that's really interesting. It's a very, very clear pain point. It is something that LLMs are newly capable of, like taking unstructured data and structuring it at both sort of a semantic and a syntax, like a format and a semantic level. Mm-hmm. Let's kind of work with you. Let's iterate a little bit. Let's see if the output is good enough to use in production. And it turned out that combining sort of our real-time layer transcription from a partner of ours called DeepGram, healthcare-specific large language models from a partner of ours called Science.io and GPT-4, we actually can generate these clinical notes that healthcare providers think are a really, really great first draft at the very least. And we built exactly what customers ask for, and it's super popular without a whole lot of creative product thinking involved, which, which is kind of amazing. It's also super exciting. That's cool. Yeah, that's definitely nice when you can, uh, the customers, they all ask you for the right exact thing. You build it. There's not a lot of creativity. You just do what they ask and, uh, and it becomes popular. So that, that is really awesome. There's um, a whole lot of interesting stuff you do after you have the version one. So now we have that problem where okay. everyone who's using it is asking for the slightly different sort of next stage in the roadmap. So now, now we're back in the sort of predictable product, you know, management uh, interestingness. But it was really interesting that just, we were just asked for this, solve this really very big pain point using new generative AI technology. And it was sort of a, a straight line. Right. That's awesome. That's funny. So I mean, I'm wondering, um, I'd love to pick your brain on, what do you think's the the potential impact of your new automatic video highlights toolkit on, uh, you know, content creators and, and marketers specifically? I think that we're seeing a new medium being born like living through the early days of radio or of film or of tv when we look at what what we're doing internally with our toolkits it just feels like video is going to be very very different 10 years from now than it is today mm-hmm. and nobody sitting here today can tell you exactly what that's going to look like but enough ingredients are new and people are doing interesting enough experiments and the tooling is evolving I just think it's super interesting to be living through this kind of transition. What we're focused on is how can you how can we let people have a conversation with an LLM utilizing audio, video and transcripts and some metadata as input and get out something useful without being a professional video editor. 
that's sort of our focus. Although we have enough super experienced professional video editor type people on our team that I think one thing that may come out is tools that just make professional video editors even faster. Okay. And you could sort of even more equipped to do, you know, kind of interesting video edits with, with less rote work. But I also think we're going to end up with things that just feel like really new kinds of video output that all of us are empowered to create, maybe similarly to how, you know, point and shoot cameras changed photography and made photography not in like, there are still professional photographers, there are still art photographers, but, you know, being able to carry a camera around and then being able to have a camera embedded in your phone massively changed photography. A hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. I'm curious, have you, have you um, seen tools like, uh, have you heard of Opus Pro by chance? I have not heard of Opus Pro, but now I need to go look it up. Yeah. Anyways, uh, video editing tool automatically with AI that like I'm absolutely in, in love with. Uh, I will, uh, I'll shill it for them forever. But yeah, pretty much I throw up my whole podcast into that thing. It, it puts a transcript on and then uses ChatGPT or whatever to like determine where the most like, um, noteworthy moments in the podcast are. I'll probably do it to our episode together. Uh, it edits the whole thing, clips it into pieces that are like the most relevant and, and then automatically does like captions and all the other stuff. And it's like good to, to schedule. In any case, um, so many exciting things, of course, in the in the video editing space that are that are coming down the line. I think even in the video creation space that is going to be um, really big. So a lot of very exciting things. Um, Kundala, as we kind of wrap up this podcast today, something I would love to ask you for is if you have one piece of advice for people currently um, working in the industry, maybe looking at implementing some of your tools, what what's a piece of advice that you feel like you could give them? Man, I think that, you know, we we are living through the early days of a new platform shift, and that opens up just all kinds of interesting opportunities, both from an engineering and a business perspective. Anything you know a lot about dig in and see what the new AI tools are changing about that. Uh, what expertise remains, you know, totally in the head of the humans and is still not possible to replicate. And what is, what are the new things that say large language models can do that no computer could do a year and a half ago. And then just think about that and experiment and build a bunch of stuff. I think it's a little like the kids who grow up using these new AI tools are going to approach kind of the whole world differently in the same way that kids who grew up using the internet approach their world of communicating with their friends totally differently. And with any new toolkit, there are some great things and some challenges. And, uh, you know, the earlier you lean in on this stuff, the more you can help figure it all out. Totally. I love it. That is some fantastic advice. Uh, really appreciate you coming on the pod today. Really appreciate all of your insights. Um, if people want to get in contact with you or find out more about what you're building, I'm over at Daily. What's the best way for them to do that? We're daily.co. Try Daily on the socials. And I'm Quindla at daily.co. And I love getting email. Amazing. All right. Well, I will leave a link to your website in the show notes. So thank you again so much for coming on to the listener. Thank you so much for tuning in to the AI Chat podcast. Make sure to rate us wherever you get your podcasts and have a wonderful rest of your day.